Next Chapter Podcasts. Hey there, eager beaver. Welcome back to Indecent with Kiki Anderson. Kick off your shoes and leave your existential crisis at the door. Me? Well, I'll just make myself more comfortable. Mm, I would have brought us something to drink, but if you listen to our last episode with drug connoisseur Dominic Milton Trot, there are actually lots of much healthier and wilder ways to unwind. You know, the first thing that crossed my mind was, you know, have I got permanent brain damage? Am I going to get back to normal ever, or is this it? Uh, in which case I'm going to be a dysfunctional vegetable, really. Uh, and the second thought was, you know, obviously, am I going to die? Uh, and I don't want to die. And I was sort of then promising myself, I'll never do anything like this again if I just get out of this alive. Getting out of your mind on mescaline or Swedish tobacco isn't for everyone. There's a million different ways under the sun to get your rocks off and a million more where the sun don't shine. The internet's quote-unquote Rule 34 tells us if it exists, someone's made porn of it. Which is good news for anyone into SpongeBob SquarePants cock and ball torture. And not just because it means they'll be able to find homebrew videos of Patrick stomping on Squidward's balls while wearing stilettos. I need it! That makes sense to me. What I'm trying to say is, whatever you're into, there's a community of like-minded individuals out there who are probably into it too. And for better or worse, you might be able to find someone who's willing to toss your salad while cosplaying as a Krusty Krab customer. Is this how you get your sick kicks? However, even though we're living in an age of unprecedented romantic and erotic exploration, it doesn't really seem like people are walking around with a constant post-coital grin, right? As enlightened as we all are now, relationships don't seem universally easier or less complicated than they've been in the past. Several studies have shown that Gen Z is having less and less sex. Then there's this ray of sunshine. The Department of Health and Human Services reported back in 2023 that half of all adult Americans experience loneliness, which is actually making people more prone to shit like heart disease and dementia. And then there's marriage. The US marriage rate has been declining since 2000. Here's the weird part though, the divorce rate has also been declining since 2000. So what does it all mean, Basil? I don't know, I don't understand. Help me! This is usually the part of the show where we wax poetic about the root causes for all the world's woes, punctuating it with a bunch of data points meant to make you want to punch a wall faster than a fitness bro on 4Loco. Here's the thing though, I feel way too unqualified to try and explain why your sorry ass can't find love. So, with Valentine's Day right around the corner, we thought we'd turn to the one person we know has all the answers. Iconic advice columnist Dan Savage, the man behind the incredible Savage Love column and host of the Savage Love cast. He's been trying to help people navigate their dating, love, and sex problems for over 30 years. And let me tell you, he's seen and heard everything, and I do mean everything you silly freaks have been up to. Dan Savage, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, yeah. I uh, was saying to you earlier, um, you were the first podcast I ever listened to, and who better to do our Valentine's Day episode? Well, thank you. And I was saying that yours was the last podcast I've ever listened to because you invited me on the show. So I downloaded a bunch of your podcasts and listened to them and really enjoyed them. And now I'm a subscriber. Oh, well, I'm honored. I'm, I'm going to faint. That's so cool. You've been doing this. I've been listening to you for a long time. And I mean, I guess I want to know, you've been talking about sex and dating and love for a long time. 
What do you think about dating now? Does anything shock Dan Savage? You know, years ago, somebody in Seattle tried to start a rival advice column and they their argument was, I didn't know what I was talking about or you shouldn't come to me for sex and love and dating advice because I'd then been with my boyfriend for a decade. So what did I know about modern dating? Well, now I've been with my husband for 30 years. So what do I know? I try to pay attention. I read. I have. I haven't catfished anybody, but I've gotten on apps, even though my entire romantic life kind of predates the arrival of the internet and apps. So I feel like I have some idea, and I, and I get how weird and distorted by politics the dating scene is now. Um, there's a certain hesitancy. Uh, that men are feeling. Men are still sort of straight men are told that they need to make the first move. But we now exist in a time where if you make the first move and you guess wrong, that can have enormous potential professional, social, even political consequences for you. Uh, Because we conflate making a pass at somebody, a respectful pass, not a lunge, not a tongue in the mouth, an ask out. Use your words, ask somebody out. As sexual harassment, if the person guessed wrong, And so we've kind of, you know, I've always said that I started writing Savage Love and I hated straight guys. I was a gay kid who got picked on a lot by straight guys. And my heart grew three sizes one day for straight guys because I saw, you know, straight guys are monsters. They run the world. Male violence, terrible. Uh But straight guys are kind of at sea a lot. And we see that more and more with them not knowing what to do. And a lot of straight guys have retreated. You know, you hear from women that they can't find appropriate partners or decent partners, uh, you know, because straight guys aren't going to college and they're sitting in their parents' basements. And a lot of them are afraid to make a move. Because, and they're the good ones. The good ones are afraid to make a move because they don't want to sexually harass anybody. So you're ending up with a dating scene that's self-selecting for the bad ones, for the Andrew Tates, for the people who don't care if they make somebody feel unsafe or sexually harassed. And it's a real, I think, problem for dating and for straight people is that the good, conscientious, ethical guys are like, I need to hang back. I don't want to sexually harass anybody, make anybody feel unsafe. And the bad guys are coming at you. That's real. Yeah, there's a paper trail now. And also just having rejection in black and white right in front of you on your phone is so much more vicious. Uh, People need to get over rejection. Like rejection is your friend in disguise. Because if somebody doesn't want to be with you, the sooner they let you know that, the sooner you can get back out there and maybe find somebody who does. Yeah. Uh, And I think I've always encouraged people not just to accept rejection, but to invite it. You know, when you ask somebody out or you're a couple and you ask them to have a three-way, say, hey, look, if the answer is no, please tell me no. I'll hear no. It'll be awkward. We can still be friends. We'll power through it. But like, tell me no. I can hear no. And it's really important for men to say that to women. Because women are socialized not to say no to men. And so men are like, oh, these mixed signals. And it's just socialization and the damage it does to those opposite sex relationships that are so hard. I like to think or I hope, I don't know, I, I'm not a big ghosting kind of person. Like, I'll just be like, eh, we're not, it's not the vibe. You're not my person. You know, I have a boyfriend now, but I've always been very forthright about how I feel about people. But I do think it should be socially acceptable to give people like cliff notes. <laughs> like, well, I didn't like you for A, B and C. Maybe you, sh- you can work on this. Well, by request. Right, right. Of you, course. Like, I think when you get dumped, 
you should do some introspection. Mm -hmm. You should interrogate your actions, behaviors. You should have a star chamber of friends that you can talk to who maybe you went, who hung out with you and your ex and maybe observed some things and you give them permission to be honest and direct with you. And then maybe you can make some changes. I actually don't think exit interviews with people who are dumping you are very helpful. Um, Because I don't think being dumped is a conversation or a negotiation. And too many men will leverage, uh, you know, making a woman feel like she needs his permission to end the relationship. Uh I hear all the time from women who are like, I've tried to break up with him three times, but we could never agree. (laughs) Really, getting dumped is the only thing about a relationship where consent of the other party is absolutely irrelevant. You don't need to obtain their consent. You need to let them no. And if somebody asks you, like, what, is there anything you wanted to tell me? Is it something I did wrong? Like half the time, if you tell them honestly, they're going to start arguing with you or blow up at you or get mad at you. I think maybe half the time when you say that to somebody, male or female, gay or straight, queer, bi, whatever, you might get a good faith, honest reaction from them and something thoughtful. But the risk of somebody blowing up at you is so high that after you've gotten blown up at once or twice, you get gun shy and you get ghosty because that's part of what makes ghosting so attractive is you don't have to have that argument. But I also think we are, we know too much about our dates, right? Like the first thing I do when I match with somebody on a dating app is I go, I creep on their Instagram to make sure they're a real person. But then maybe they post something cringe on their story and I'm like, ew, I don't think I want to go out with this guy anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you need to like... Have you ever posted something cringe? Yes. On your story that later you were <laughs> like, oh, I gotta friends. take that. There's a down. tab for it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think you need to be a little bit more generous about cringe. Right. Well, I'm obviously like I'm exaggerating, but we do have a lot of information about people in the palm of our hands before we even get to know them. And I think that that is part of the problem. But you can change your approach and your posture. Like I'm looking through his Instagram. Some people I have friends who do this. I'm looking through his Instagram for why I shouldn't date him. And they'll find it. You will eventually find it. If you look through his Instagram for reasons I might want to date him, you'll probably find a lot more. Like he goes hiking. I like hiking. He does this. I like that. Um, You know, he looks really good in that swimsuit. (laughs) I'd like to put my hand on him while he's in that swimsuit. Like you can find a million things, but what people seem to often be doing is looking for the one thing. Not the like 50 posts on Instagram that make me feel like I might dig this person. But the one post, it's like, ah, that's disqualifying potentially. And so I'm not going to bother. Yeah. You're an optimist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an optimist. And maybe that's why, you know, um, not without grief, not without effort, but like, but I like the that person, about you. The person who started a column a million years ago and said, nobody should listen to me because I've been in a relationship for too long. And what do I know about dating? Like, maybe I know a little bit about dating considering I've been with my husband 30 years and my boyfriend 11. Like, maybe I know how to make something work if that's what you want. Like, a lot of people pretend they want a relationship and don't. And you can tell that they don't from their actions. But they feel like they have to pretend that they do because everyone's supposed to. Some people are happier singles. Some people are happier dating randomly, having brief, hopefully successful short-term relationships. We talk about successful long-term relationships. We should talk about successful short-term relationships, how you conduct yourself in something that's going to be short-term so that everybody feels good about it after. That's a success then. Um, And some people, 
feel like they have to pretend to want what everyone's supposed to want, whether it's monogamy, whether it's, you know, marriage or kids. And then you look at the way they behave and what they do. And you're like, you don't actually want those things. Be honest with yourself. Look at the way you act. Look at the way you sabotage relationships when you want out. Maybe you could just be honest that you don't want anything very long-term, anything more than like six months. And rather than engage in acts of sabotage, which leave that other person feeling used or lied to or abused or just leave you feeling confused about what it is that you're doing, you could be honest with yourself and say to somebody at the start, like, I'm good for six months. We could have a great summer romance, but I'm not good for longer than six months. Yeah. I think that is something all couples need to they need to have that talk, right? Because it's like you don't want to waste somebody's time if somebody's trying to crank out babies like they're in their 30s, you know, but yeah, but some people do just want to have a good relationship for however long that is. And if you're honest about that and you can say to somebody like I've always, you know, I, I noticed this pattern in my life. I was always with people for three months, six months, and I thought I was something was wrong with me. It was like, no, that's just what I want, who I am. But I tell you what, like, I really dig you. We could have a great three months, six months, and then we can have a great friendship. And I know, and then like, if any girlfriend of mine ever comes to me and says, how about him? You dated him. And I had a good experience with you. I am going to vouch for you. And that's really important in straight land. The, the whisper network among women, don't date him, girl, right? Um, that whisper network. And so if you're with somebody for a little while and you stick the dismount and it was a good successful relationship, and there wasn't a lot of drama or sabotage at the end. It was just like maybe sad. One person's usually ready to end it. The other person's not quite ready to end it. If you can stick that dismount and then like you meet a friend of hers, maybe through her, if you have that kind of post-relationship relationship where like you get invited to Friendsgiving and she has a friend who's like kind of into you and you were good and decent to each other, she's going to say, yeah, you should date him. I, I, we had a great time. He's a good guy. That's brilliant. I can tell you've been doing this a long time. You've thought of all the things. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the mentality for everybody. Like, we're all on the same team here. We all just want to be happy. Oh, my God. And you see this in gay land a lot more because gay people don't have this luxury of, you know, the bro code and you can never, or the cis code or whatever. You can never date somebody I dated because there's too few of us, right? And, and our social circles, like gay men's friends tend to also be the people that they date or draw potential partners from. Our social circles are too intimate and mixed. And I will go to gay weddings or lesbian weddings, and literally the ex is the officiant. And, or there are lots of exes at the wedding. <laughs> that is so and funny. You, <laughs> you don't, I've never been to a straight wedding where the person performing the wedding was the ex-boyfriend of the bride. I have been to gay weddings where the person performing the wedding is the ex-boyfriend of one of the grooms. And it's, and it's not because we're more highly evolved, it's because we have no choice. We would do that bro code shit too if we could get away with it, but we can't because we're a tiny percentage of the population, so we can't play those games. But women need to be on that same vibration too. I, like, kill me and bring me back as a gay man with a huge dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Like, I actually, after 30 years of writing Savage Love and all these years of doing the love cast, I've come to the conclusion that men and women are fundamentally sexually incompatible. I think that that is true. Yes, Dan Savage said it. It's fucking true. <laughs> Thank God every day I'm a faggot. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, I was reading your Wikipedia and, you know, you have so many wonderful credits. But the one thing I was really surprised to find on there is you coined the term pegging. 
Yes, I did. With my readers, we had a little vote on pegging. Um, yeah, I'm anxious for that to get into the Oxford English Dictionary so I can have an originating citation. Uh, it's not in there yet, which is insane. Like, uh, Jeggings is in the Oxford English Dictionary. Um, Kant as like, that's amazing. Kant as that compliment adjective uh, is in there. Um, words that were invented five years ago in there. But pegging, even though everybody knows exactly what you mean when you say it, even though it's entered the English language, um, yeah, it's not in there yet. I'm very bitter. Well, I hope that it happens because jegging and pegging are one letter off. Exactly. <laughs> and it really is like a pe like a peg leg. It's like attaching a limb to yourself. It is. And, <laughs> you know, originally we came up with that because it was so long ago. It was when the column was only in print. And I started getting a lot of letters from straight people who were curious about this thing they heard that lesbians were doing, which was strap on sex. And I'd get questions from men saying, I'm a straight guy and I would like to be fucked in the ass with a strap on dildo by a woman. And that ate up a lot of space to say that. It's like a paragraph to say that. And every time I had to answer those questions, I had to keep repeating that insanely long phrase. And I was just like, we need a sex term for this. We need something punchy, one or two syllables that says a woman fucking a man in the ass with a strap on dildo, which is like 400 syllables. And we had a vote uh, and there was several nominees, including Bob. There was a video series in the early 90s by Carol um, Queen called Bend Over Boyfriend. <laughs> and so bob and bobbing was one of the options but peg and pegging was the option that my readers voted on and, and chose in a landslide and then it stuck it stuck it worked but it, i don't think it's new uh, i believe there's uh images from brothels from like the 18th century probably paintings in uh pompeii and rome uh that show pegging it just didn't have a name and now it does and the the, the really hilarious thing is when uh it came down to peg you know you're gonna peg someone you got pegged we're gonna i'm into pegging like it just it works uh, i had to send an apology note to my aunt peg <laughs> <laughs> she was a little annoyed she should just lean in do a little pegging peg <laughs> i ruined her good name <laughs> she's got to go by peggy now um you, I, I know you were saying it kind of joking, but I do think there's truth to it. You said you've been doing this a long time and your conclusion is men and women are not compatible. Can you elaborate on that? Well, it just, we just need to acknowledge that. I, I think males and females are distinct sex categories. When you start making generalizations about men and women, you're making generalizations about 4 billion people and 4 billion people. There are going to be tens of millions, hundreds of millions of exceptions. The odds that the exceptional men and women would listen to your show or my show are really high. So I'm going to make some generalizations. They may not apply to you, listener. And I, I'm aware of that. Uh, but men and women, you know, women are always negotiating sex from a position of other subconscious fear or conscious fear. And men are often unaware of that, right? Uh, and men need to be aware of that. That was the lesson in the whole Aziz Ansari thing. Like you, you, when you saw his stand-up special after he processed that whole thing, he was blundering through that experience, unaware of how she was perceiving it or might be feeling. He, would, he lacked the ability to project himself into her experience. A lot of men have that problem. Um, 
And so that's one thing. The other thing is like, there's just a lot of Mr. Darcy from women, like wish casting about what they hoped men would be as opposed to what men are, which is testosterone soaked dick monsters that need to come all the time. Um, and really errant beliefs about what sex is and how it works um, from something as basic as being in love means you don't want to sleep with other people. When being in love, making a monogamous commitment means you aren't going to sleep with other people, you're still going to want to. And that means don't go to pieces when you find evidence that your partner might be attracted to other people. And also don't go hunting for that evidence. But like so much conflict is created in relationships, often by women, because and women are more vulnerable to cheating. Women are more vulnerable to being left still economically um, and of course violence. So it can be more consequential. But a lot of conflict is created sometimes needlessly because people are like, aha, I caught you doing or feeling something that I just need to accept that you do and feel all the time. And so do I. Like you were looking at that barista. It's like, yep, you were looking at that barista because that barista is hot. And you're, he's not fucking that barista on the counter or I'm not fucking that waiter or my personal trainer. But like there's a vibe there, a little bit of erotic energy, attraction that I enjoy, even though I'm not going to cheat. And if we could just stop policing each other for what we should accept as a given, like no one has ever in the whole history of personal trainers hired a personal trainer. They did not want to fuck. And so of course your wife wants to fuck her personal trainer. Has your wife fucked her personal trainer? Let your wife have the personal trainer that makes her feel good and attractive so that she comes home and fucks the shit out of you instead of blowing up at her about the personal trainer she hired being too hot. And the same thing for dudes. And and, and that's like one of the neologisms I've coined in Savage Love is monogamish, which is like monogamy, but like with a little squish around the edges, that doesn't have to mean sleeping with other people or a hall passes. It can just mean an acknowledgement that a person has a zone of erotic autonomy and desires that aren't always going to be focused on the person that they've committed to. And if you release them, give them that freedom to have those desires without taking them as a personal affront, your relationship is going to be stronger and more stable. Gay people are really good at that, in part because gay people, you know, your partner thinks the barista is hot, so do you. Right? Yeah. You can picture your partner fucking the barista over the counter while you fuck the other end of that same barista <laughs> over that same counter, right? So it's a little less threatening in a same-sex relationship than it is in an opposite-sex relationship because the barista is just for you or the personal trainer is just for you and displaces me. Whereas in a gay relationship, the barista can be for us and we can both be invited. You know, and, and so it's a little easier for us to navigate, but it's important for straight people to get there. And there's been, you know, one of the things we've learned from so many people who are trans now uh, is that you talk to trans men they were biologically female. They were assigned female at birth. They transitioned to male. They were given testosterone. And their relationship to sex and desire was transformed. That suddenly they were horny fucking testosterone-soaked dick monsters. And that's just a, a, something about being male, you know, kind of makes you that kind of monster. And if you want a male partner, you get in the monster too. Yeah. But I would argue that women are those monsters too. There's just a lot of stigma around it like still absolutely there's there's a, there's a great study i loved that showed that was once held up to show that women were less 
you know, sexual than men, less interested in sex because they walked up to women on, you know, they had hot guys walk up or they had hot women walk up to men on a college campus and say, do you want to fuck right now? And like the guys were all like, uh-huh, sure. And they had hot men walk up to women, be like, you want to fuck right now? And women were like, no. They repeated this study, but with photographs where they assured everyone they showed them photos of hot people. You could have sex with this person right now. No one will ever know. No violence, no sexually transmitted infections, no consequences, no slut shaming. You could have sex with this person right now. They're in the other room. And women were as likely to say yes as men because it controlled for violence. It controlled for sexually transmitted infections, fear, slut shaming. Like female desires in long term for a male partner in a committed relationship drop off faster than a male's desire for a female in a long term committed relationship women lose interest in sex faster because they get bored yeah more easily and so what does that mean i mean i think that means that women are no more likely to want to be monogamous than men if you want a monogamous relationship how do you make that work how do you keep it exciting you have to figure it out Early in a relationship, you're the adventure they're on. They're the adventure you're on. The adventurous, adrenaline, cortisone, horny feeling is just built in because you're practically strangers to each other. Ten years in, they are not the adventure anymore and you are not the adventure anymore. And you'll look at the relationship and say, what happened? Where did it go? What's wrong? And there's nothing wrong with the relationship. It just can't be what it was ten years ago. Effortlessly adventurous. If you want that adventurous feeling back, you have to go on adventures together. You have to create adventures together as a team. And we don't say that to people. We get in, It gets into people's heads that because the sex isn't as fun as it was the month we met, that some, the relationship is falling apart. Rather than that's true for everybody after 10 years. That's true for most people after five years or four years. And so go have sex in public. Go have sex on the roof of your building. Go have sex in a sex club. You don't have to have sex with other people. Have sex around other people. Do something dangerous and you'll get that adrenaline, cortisone pumping and really connected feeling. You know, that great sex early in a relationship. You feel so connected to that person. Rote sex 10 years in where you're just like maintenance sex. It actually makes you feel disconnected. Take that same sex partner that you've been with for 10 years. Go somewhere crazy. Do something nuts and you'll have that same sense of, oh my God, like you, you're the one. I feel so connected to you because we bungee jumped together. We went, we had this crazy adventure together and straight people need to do that. Gay people do that. Gay couples do that. And straight people don't. Mm, see, that's why we didn't even bother trying and we let Dan do all the heavy lifting. It's just so messy with all the situationships and sneaky links and whatnot. But you know what? One thing we do know about here at Indecent is knacking boots. Well, okay, my producers Max and Pete say that they've both had sex at least once in their lives. If you know them as well as I do, you might say that's debatable. Anyway, we got together and decided to cobble together our top 10 tantalizing moves to turn up the heat in the bedroom. Yeah, baby, yeah! Number 10, teasing your partner's nipples and other sensitive areas with a feather is a great way to gently turn up the sexual tension during foreplay. And if your partner loves feather play, step it up by bringing in an entire live chicken. <laughs> Number nine, you don't have to wait until you're physically with your partner to try and turn each other on. Dirty texts and nudes are great for building anticipation, but if you're not feeling creative, 
Download the AI-powered sex-generating app, SquirtGBT. It gets dirty for you. When I return to our domicile, I cannot wait to stimulate your corpus cavernosum and clitoral glands with undulating motions of my anterior tongue. Number eight, turn your monogamous partnership into an open-ended trio called a mupple. It's like a thruple, except that your third is a muppet. Number seven, we've all tried choking, but why not go deeper? Put on an old-timey diving suit and have your partner tie a knot in the air hose. Or try some tightened submarine roleplay. Have your partner douse you with a bucket of water and right as you're about to come yell out, oh my God, I'm gonna implode. Number six, believe it or not, even S&M can get old at some point. Try mixing up the ways you're doling out pain, like hitting your partner with your car. Number five, get a little risky and finally agree to take off that enormous condom you have stretched over your head and your entire body. Number four, try the Scorsese. That's tantric sex that's almost as long as Killers of the Flower Moon. Pass me a beer, brother. Number three, try the Bobert. That's over-the-pants hand stuff during a performance of Beetlejuice or any other musical theater, really. Just not in front of the kids. You bunch of losers! You're working with a professional here! Number two, provide a full spread of cured Italian meats and cheeses. Sex can be so exhausting and you'll need calories to power through. Nothing says you're definitely worth texting back quite like a charcuterie board. Gabagool, over here. And finally, number one, don't eat ass, eat grass. Barnyard roleplay doesn't have to be as smelly as it sounds. And if conservatives really are trying to ban furries in Oklahoma, well, it must be because there's something truly great about dressing up like an anthropomorphic cow. It's utterly delightful. This segment was brought to you by Blue Chew, proud sponsors of the Biden campaign. Biden, 2024, I swear it'll work this time. Even in its wildest, dumbest fever dreams, Cosmo could never come up with a listicle this lit. But for more love lessons that are on our level, let's get back to Dan Savage. You did mention straight land a lot, actually. So tell me, what are the pitfalls that we need to watch out for in queer relationships? Well, gay male relationships, women are a check on heterosexual men's ability to spin out of control sexually, an external check. Gay men have to find an internal check. Because if you're gay and moderately attractive, you can rack up Wilt Chamberlain numbers. You can have 5,000 partners in a lifetime. Um, because it's not that gay men are huge pig sluts. It's that men are huge pig sluts. And gay men are men and our partners are male. And it just makes anonymous sex hookups easier. And so sometimes you see with gay men, they don't know when to push away from the dick buffet that I, I always quote Mary Poppins enough is as good as a feast. And some gay men don't know what enough looks like. And gay people need to have probably fewer sex partners than we can. And straight people need to have more sex partners than they do. Like there's a balance there. You know, you can be gay and have sex with thousands of people a year. You can't be a straight guy and do that. Um, you could maybe be a straight woman and do that because men are pigs. Um, but it would be foolhardy and risky for a straight woman to attempt that because men who have sex with women, and a lot of them, a significant percentage of them are violent and can't be trusted and are angry and awful. But it does feel like with the internet, we've gotten hornier. Do you think that's true? 
<laughs> yes. We've gotten hornier and also a lot more honest. I was just having a conversation last night with a writer from Slate where the question I don't get anymore, 30 years of 30 plus years of writing Savage Love, like 15 plus years of hosting the Lovecast. The question I used to get all the time was, am I normal? Is this normal? And really what the Cambrian explosion of internet pornography and also I think the AIDS epidemic, which forced us to have a conversation about the sex people were actually having and not the sex we all agreed people ought to be having, got it finally through everyone's heads that everyone's a freak, that, <laughs> that being not normal is kind of normal paradoxically, that when it comes to human sexuality and expression, variance is the norm. But there is a pushback, right? Because you can't be a politician who gets caught at a sex club, right? That's, you will get removed from office. We are this close to you can be a politician who gets caught at a sex club. The new prime minister of France is a gay man in his 30s. He has been to a sex I don't know this for sure, but I know it. He has been to a sex club. He has been to a sex party. He's hot, 34 years old. He's obviously a striver, uh, attracted to power. That man has done things, been places, and the omerta of gay land where like you don't <laughs> rat each other out because you were at that place too. That's how you come, you know, they were at that place. I, I think that has to be true. And also we, everybody grows up now living their erotic lives online. Um, people have their first erotic experiences often over the internet with internet pornography or dirty stories. Um, really your phone for many people is your first sex partner. It's also where you date. It's where you flirt. You take pictures, you send pictures, you swap pictures. Our phones are fully, in, our, you know, our technology is fully incorporated into our erotic inner lives, which means there's no such thing as a movie star 10 years from now, even five years from now, or a politician or a president who doesn't have dick pics online or tit pics online. Right. And they're going to come out. I actually keep saying it's going to be a little bit like pot, Used to be, got caught smoking pot, a photo surfaced of you with a joint, and it ruined your political career. And then along comes Bill Clinton, you know, I didn't inhale. And everybody's like, that's bullshit. And then <laughs> along comes George Bush, who was like a coke fiend. And we all knew it, but he wouldn't confirm it. And then we get Barack Obama, who's like, yeah, I inhaled. That was the point. <laughs> and then suddenly we were all over, like, yeah, they've all smoked. It's weird if a politician hasn't smoked pot. We're like, what was wrong with you? Did you not have any friends? Yeah, were you a nerd? <laughs> Yeah, you, were you a nerd? Yeah. And I think it's going to be the same thing with like the dirty shit online that we've seen some people be destroyed, like a, a member of Congress from California, uh, Katie, I can't remember her last uh -huh. name. I'm, I'm a pothead. Um, the, the picture surfaced. They were, it was a revenge pornography. She had to resign. She had to leave Congress. Other people are going to have pictures come up and they're going to be, well, I'm not going to confirm or deny that that's me. And then we're going to get an Obama of dick pics who's like, yep, that's my dick. Pretty awesome, right? And it's going to be over. If Obama dropped a dick pic, man, he would get a third term. <laughs> not, Ob not Obama, this Obama. I, don't th I think Michelle Obama would have a problem with uh, Obama <laughs> posting dick pics on Maine. But like some other politician coming. I mean, look at Melania Trump. We've all seen her pussy. <laughs> And it wasn't like for the religious conservatives who are obviously power obsessed hypocrites who were never about morality or decency at all, even though they pretended to be about those things when they were sticks they could beat gay people with or Bill Clinton with. 
not a problem. And we are going to see the president's dick soon. And I hope it's not, <laughs> I hope it's not Donald Trump's dick. Oh, God. Please, God, don't let it be Donald Trump's dick or Chris Christie's dick. Or Biden's dick. I don't want to see Biden's dick either. <laughs> I don't want to see Biden's dick. But, you know, compared to Trump, at least you could if you pointed a camera at Biden's dick, see it. I, I want to think that what you're saying is true. But it wasn't that long ago. Who was that politician? He was a Republican who was in a wheelchair. Uh, Madison Cawthorn. Madison Cawthorn. What an icon. He's like, yeah, I saw all these people at an orgy. And they were like, you're fired. (laughs) Yeah, Republicans fired him because he ratted them out. He said, Republican members of Congress, people in my own party were inviting me to cocaine-fueled orgies. And so, you know, he didn't, if he'd said that about Democrats, they wouldn't have iced him. They wouldn't have knifed him. He said it about Republicans. And so he had to go. He had to go. He's a rat. Yeah. So. And a Nazi. He didn't have to go because he was a Nazi and clearly a no, fascist. No, we love those there. <laughs> and worshipped Hitler. Like, that's that's fine in the GOP. <laughs> Letting people know that creepy old members of Congress are getting their dicks wet. Uh, and getting their noses dusted when they're not supposed to be. Uh, that was what they could not forgive him for. Do you think that we, with all the talk that we're having about sex on your podcast, on blogs, on Instagram, with OnlyFans, do you think people are getting better at sex? And how do we evaluate that? Who do we ask? Well, there's a lot of data that shows that people are less satisfied. People are having less sex. There's kind of a sex recession. We need better porn education. Um, I think a lot of what people are seeing induces a kind of anxiety in them that makes approaching sex a little harder and scarier because porn puts in your head that these things that may not appeal to you are normative or expected. And it's, you know, we talk often about like choking. Dr. Debbie Herbenick, Indiana University, tons of research into how choking suddenly became vanilla sex or just something people do on first dates or without talking about it first or asking, even though choking is incredibly dangerous and for some people very traumatic, but for some people very arousing. It's not always the person doing the choking who's into choking. Often people request choking and and porn kind of mainstreamed that. And a lot of people look at that and think, well, if sex means getting choked, I don't want to have sex. And sex doesn't mean getting choked. Sex means you get to decide what happens. And we don't have good, you know, we can barely have sex education in schools that goes beyond reproductive biology, which you can cover in like five seconds. Um, You know, where people, the sex education we need is sex for pleasure, which is most of the sex people have most of the time throughout their lives and negotiating it, how to ask for what you want, how to obtain consent. And as Christine Emba in her terrific book, Rethinking Sex, argues, consent is a floor, not a ceiling. It's not enough to get consent for the sex to be good. Um, and experience is good by all involved. You need to like do more than just get a yes. Um, and that's the stuff that trips people up. And if we could, God, the things we could say to young people who've seen some porn but have not yet had any sexual experiences that would really help them are as simple as saying to somebody who just watched some porn, what do you think happened right before they turned the camera on? And you see a light bulb go off over their head and they're like, oh, they talked about it. That that didn't just happen, that they're professionals and they had a conversation. They had a negotiation. I'm like, exactly. And they don't show you that because it's not hot. Even though I think 
um, you know, consent, obtaining it, talking about sex done right. It can be like the, the bare bones things you need to say, but also it can be a kind of flirting. It actually can be a kind of foreplay. Right. And, but to say to a kid like, okay, so you watched, you know, we caught you watching all this pornography. It's fine. You're curious. What happened right before? What do you think happened right before? It's not just sex. I feel like we're less romantic. We value relationships less. I think we value partnerships less. I feel like a lot of the conversation now is on polyamory, which there's no judgment on that. Or like having open relationships or, you know, like you don't need a man, you don't need a partner. Like everything's surrounding like independence and, you know, living for yourself. The romance feels like it's gone. The romance is optional now for women in a way it wasn't a hundred years ago. When women couldn't get credit cards, when they couldn't own property, when they needed a man's permission as an adult to get a job outside the home, and this I'm not describing Saudi Arabia, I'm describing the United States of America in the 1950s, women had to settle for someone, had to be in a relationship to exist socially and politically, financially. And so every man got a woman eventually because a woman had to have a man. Now, you know, women have jobs and women get educations. There are more women in college by a huge percentage than men in college. And so women are given a choice between, you know, women a hundred years ago, a choice between no man and a shitty man would take the shitty man. Women now given a choice between no man and a shitty man, no man would rather have, uh, you know, the girlfriends and an occasional hookup with a guy that they wouldn't want to partner with or become a mom to some guy who can't take care of himself than than being with that guy than marrying that guy and men have not adjusted fast enough to this new social reality which is why you see the incels and a lot of anger on the right about women not doing what they thought women were always going to have to do which was settle for someone and more power to women who don't settle uh and guys need to get it through their heads that they need to be in good fucking working order if they want an intimate and romantic partner. They can't be selfish messes. Uh, they can't be lousy lays. They can't be incapable of turning on a fucking dishwasher or doing the laundry also. They can't be adult babies, they, not adult baby diaper lovers. I mean, they can't be like children and find some <laughs> woman to take care of them. They have to, as so many women now these days, be able to take care of themselves. That's what we want in a partner. We want somebody who enhances our life, not somebody who becomes a burden to us, somebody who's our partner in crime and we can do things together with. And given a choice between shitty men who play that role <laughs> or good friends who play that role, whose rent you don't have to pay, whose apartments you don't have to clean, women are going to choose friends and uh getting some dick on the internet every once in a while over mm. marrying some fucking jerk. Yeah. I wish I could take everything you just said and put it on wax and like turn it into a song, make it <laughs> hit number one of the year. Uh, uh, uh. That is exactly right. <laughs> but who do you think, whose responsibility is it to teach men that? Like, I mean, is it parenting? Parents are fucked up as is. I mean, you're talking about boomers here. Yeah. Well, not just boomers. Millennials, <laughs> Millennials are in their yeah. 40s. Millennials have kids who are like creeping up on 18. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so whose job is that? Uh, it's parents' jobs, but it's also, man, we've got a lot of bad actors out there like Andrew Tate 
um, and in the manosphere who are selling a bill of goods to young men that seems like an easy answer. Uh, and we don't have competing voices that are saying to, to young men, this is how you actually do it. And, but there's, you know, it's not all young men. The problem isn't all on young men's side. Like one of the horrifying things about Andrew Tate is that there's plenty of women who want to sleep with Andrew Tate. I know. Who are these women? Where did they come from? They push them back into their whatever hole they came from. <laughs> the Memen Do you remember the, Men the Menendez brothers? Yeah. They killed their parents and they were both kind of hot. And then they went to prison and then they started getting a million love letters from women all over the country and got married to like... There are, there's a certain percentage of women who are attracted to really shitty men. And we, it's not just the men who are being shitty that we need to reach. It's also those women. Yeah. Yeah. I think men are fucked up, but I think women are too in a lot of ways. I think generationally millennials are fucked up. But that brings me back to what you were saying earlier, because we were kind of talking about this when we were planning for this epi episode. I was like, I remember my philosophy class in college. We were talking about why is cheating wrong, right? And it's, it comes from a, preserving the assets mindset and also a public health mindset, right? And we just came off of a pandemic. Millennials can't afford land. We can't have homes. So it should seem like all the indica indicators point to monogamy, right? Like we should value romance. We should value partnerships. You can value partnership without valuing monogamy. Yeah. Um, my husband and I have been together 30 years. Uh, we have not been monogamous for 25 of those years. I've had people say to my face, I couldn't do what you and Terry do because I value commitment too highly, which is why all three of my marriages were monogamous. And I'm like, okay, so you weren't committed to anybody you married. You were committed to monogamy and you are a serial monogamist. And you're telling me that I'm not committed to this person I've been with for decades. And you were committed to each one of the people you divorced. Fuck that. There, we show our loyalty to our partners and our commitment. We can show our loyalty to our partners and our commitment with something other than our genitals over the course of a very long-term relationship. But I think gay men have it so good because I was just talking to one of my comic friends who's a gay man and he's married. And he's like, yeah, like sometimes when my husband and I meet another hot guy, we fight over who's going to get to fuck him first. I'm like, straight couples just don't do that. <laughs> well, there's a new book out called More by a straight couple who did exactly that. Um, I, I do think it's easier. Well, God, it, you just like start peeling away the layers. I've heard from straight guys forever. Why can't women be more like gay men? Right? Well, uh, gay men are less likely to rape and murder their male partners. Gay men are less likely to impregnate a male partner and disappear. Uh, the sexually transmitted infections, when you're talking about gay men, the risks are equal. When you're talking about straight sex, she's at greater risk of acquiring a sexually transmitted infection um, if somebody has one than she is, even if she has one of passing it on, the, the, the female's at greater risk. And slut shaming. But again, circling back to violence, why are women less willing to jump into bed and have nearly anonymous sex with somebody that they might end up falling in love with, like <laughs> I did with my husband? because they're a whole lot likelier to be raped or murdered by a, a, a male partner. And I say to straight guys, if you want women to be more impulsive sexually, freer sexually, stop killing them. Holy fuck. And so That's why so is real. it easier for why is it easier for gay men to, you know, have a three-way partly for that reason. Also, gay men are gay men and and I and I sometimes think this gets discounted. 
as somebody, you know, I'm gay, I have penetrated, I have been penetrated. To be the penetrated one is a bigger zap emotionally, psychologically, during a sexual encounter. And so it's possible for gay men to, and we have a lot of sex that doesn't involve any penetration at all. And straight people regard sex that didn't include penetration as not sex. Even if it was oral sex and it involved some penetration, if it was a blowjob, you have people say, well, we didn't have sex. We just, I just got a blowjob. And yeah, so it's easier sometimes for gay men to like jump into bed together because saying yes to sex doesn't necessarily mean saying yes to being penetrated. And a woman who says yes to sex to a man is understood to have said yes to being penetrated. And I say to straight guys all the time, if every time you said yes to sex, your ass got fucked, you would say yes to sex less often. Yeah. You want women to say yes to sex more often? Make it possible for women to say yes to sex without that meaning yes to getting fucked. Mutual masturbation, oral sex, toys, playing, vibrators, like there's all sorts of things that you can do. Have a broad definition of sex. I think people need to have a broad definition of sex. That's one of the gay superpowers. We have very broad definition of sex and a very narrow definition of cheating, which is a little like intention, right? Because if a lot counts as sex, then doesn't, don't all those things count as cheating? But if you want your relationship to survive, have a narrow definition of cheating. If you want to have a great varied sex life where people feel safe being with you and want to be with you, have a really broad definition of sex. Um, I, I have, you know, very kinky friends who will have crazy sex and they never and they never take their clothes off. They basically, you know, they have dungeons or slings and they fist fuck and they put their arm in somebody, but they never took their genitals out. Like they never had sex or they have like crazy S&M sex that didn't involve any genital to genital or genital to orifice contact at all. And that, that, that counts. That counts as sex. But one of the things that alarms me is watching so many things get defined as cheating in a culture in straight land where cheating is defined as unforgivable. And then you turn around and define all sorts of things as cheating and then wonder why your relationships keep falling apart. Because he said, you know, he looked at porn, that's cheating. She texted her ex on his birthday just to say, thinking of you, hope you're having a good day. That's cheating. He has a good friend at work, a work wife, or she has a work husband, and they have a real rapport, and they sometimes grab lunch and talk about their lot. That's cheating. Like the more and more the micro infidelities. Have you heard about micro infidelities? Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> so you have, I watch straight people who believe that cheating is unforgivable, then turn around to find more and more things as cheating, and then end up in relationships that fall apart because they cannot forgive the work wife. They cannot forgive... You know, they found that text message on the phone to the ex just saying, fond memories of our time together. Hope you're having a good one. Right. As if you're only supposed to exist for one person for your entire life. That's crazy. And you're supposed to hate all your exes and have nothing to do with them. Yeah. If there's anything I could reach into people's brains and like switch, somebody who has a good rapport with their exes, that is a good sign, not a bad sign. Because the odds that you're going to be an ex too are really high. Because most new relationships don't work out. And if somebody just bitches and bitches about their exes and will have nothing to do with them or their exes will have nothing to do with him, they're the common denominator in a lot of shitty relationships. They're the shitty one. And that's not something you should be like, oh, yay, my new boyfriend hates all of his exes and I don't have to worry about him sending a text to an ex on a birthday because he hates them all and they all hate him. Isn't that great? I'm so safe. It's like, no, you're with an asshole. Right. You're not safe. 
Right. If all of your exes are crazy and narcissists, you're the crazy narcissist. You are the common denominator. Now, every once in a while, somebody will pull the short straw. Like, over, like that is something odds can, that can happen. You know, the infinite number of monkeys can produce 14 copies of Hamlet in a row. Like you can, in your dating life, date three very shitty people in a row. Uh, but it is a red flag. And not all red flags mean like, oh, terrible person, run away. A red flag just means pay attention to this. Right. Think this and work through. on yourself. Th- or this could be a problem. Like somebody, like sometimes you misidentify something as a red flag. And you, somebody, oh, they hate all his exes. That's a red flag. As I've gotten to know him better, talk to his friends. Yeah, he dated three toxic people in a row. And that's not on him. And like he has other exes that he's in, you know, has a, good things to say about. So that balances out the bad things he said to say about these three. We have a lot of like hyper tailored online dating services, everything from Christian Mingle to Field to Farmer, whatever. Then there's like J Date. What does that say about our, our dating culture? Like on the one hand, it feels like we have so many porn hub categories that like everybody wants to have sex with everybody. But then we have these silos where people are like, I just want to date my religion. I just want to date my race. Nobody I know who's on J-Date is only on J-Date, <laughs> right? It's like nobody who's single and looking goes to the same bar or the same club. And so I, I see those as useful sort of niche categories where like, you know, I, I am Jewish and, you know, dating a Jewish woman probably would be, my family would be thrilled. So I'm going to put up a profile on J-Date too. Now, there are probably some people who only put up a profile on J-Date. There are also like right-wing dating websites that never work because women, for the most part, don't want to date guys who don't think women should have access to birth control or abortion rights um, and don't want to date guys who are voting for the rapist, Donald Trump. Um, (laughs) So those right-wing dating sites never quite work. But people on those will only be on those. But the people who are on Hinge tend to be on Bumble. The guys on Grindr also tend to be on Sniffies or Recon or Tinder. Like... There are there are nights you go to the sleazy club, you you go to the that hookup app, and there are nights you go to like out with friends to a place where you might meet people, and you know you're hoping that there's there might be a possibility there, but it's not like it's not the sleazy club. And and I always encourage people to move on all fronts. So I, I don't think that all of these different silos are evidence of some breakdown or sorting. Uh, that people do to avoid people who are different from them. I just think it's an odds game and people want to up their odds and move on all fronts and see who they meet in this one and that one and this one and that one. And if you get on a really specific one, like J-Date, which is for Jewish people who are dating, Recon, which is for kinky gay men, you already have this very important thing in common and then you see what else, right? You get on Tinder, you get on Hinge, Bumble, um, all you have in common is that you'd like to fuck or date. And then you have to figure other important big things out. But again, like everybody I know who's on one is on all or many or several. So I don't think the siloing is a problem. There there are opportunities. But with these apps like Field or Recon um, and the availability of things like OnlyFans, is sex getting dirtier? Yes. Yeah. People are doing crazier, dirtier things. Um, Kink has been kind of normalized and mainstreamed often by porn, which is great. Like there were kinky people out there having a lot of vanilla sex that left them feeling not happy about it. Um, cause they weren't 
you know, doing things they actually wanted to do. It can be bad because sometimes people are doing kinky things because they think, well, this is how I have to, you know, this is normal now and this is what's expected of me. And people will do things that leave them feeling not great afterwards. And that's terrible. Um, you know, making people aware that there's a lot of different ways to express yourself sexually, that doesn't make everyone obligated to do all of those different things. Um, and, you know, I do think, and I have encouraged people to try things, you know, if your partner has a foot fetish, like what skin is it off your feet to let them kiss your feet or lick your feet or massage your feet? That seems to me something that any reasonably indulgent, good giving and game partner would do for the nice Swiss fetishist that they're dating. If your partner's into like really extreme, uncomfortable, long-term bondage, that's not a reasonable expectation on their part that you would endure that for them. They have the internet now to help them find somebody who wants that specifically and then see if they could have a relationship with that person if it's really important to them. But like mild kinks and mild variances around the edges, I, I you know, you wanna up your odds of dating a romantic success, and, you know, a year in, your boyfriend says he wants to be peed on. Like, go fucking pee on your boyfriend. Have a pitcher <laughs> of beer. It's just hot water at that point. It's not like, it's not the blood of the alien and aliens that's going to dissolve the spaceship. It's, <laughs> it's fine. And on that note, a happy Valentine's Day. Pee on your boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I could listen to that man talk for hours. We are so, so grateful to Dan for joining us on our tiny little podcast. We've been fans of his for decades, and really, it was an honor. But you know what? Despite Dan's infinite wisdom, when it comes to dating, some of y'all are still not even ready for human contact. In the words of RuPaul, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you gonna love somebody else? Gonna get an amen? Before you download Tinder again for the 15th time, Perhaps you should get therapy, real therapy, not the superficial word salad bullshit you see hashtagged in selfie captions across the internet. As you'll see next time when we talk with writer Rebecca Fishbean and licensed therapist slash mental health influencer therapy Jeff, our endless quest to fix ourselves is way more precarious than we realize. I don't know. I, I, I hope that like that people that watch my content understand that these are little 60 second clips. It's lacking a lot of nuance. And if it doesn't apply to you, you don't need to make it apply to you. You can just like scroll past. It's totally fine. Like I hope that you're being a critical thinker about it, but I have gotten feedback from people that like me hoping my audience is doing critical thinking might be a bit of a stretch. New episodes come out every other Friday. Giving us a rating and a review is a huge help and make sure other people can find the show. Indecent is a production of Next Chapter Podcast. Go to ncpodcast.com to learn more. If you have something you want us to talk about, a guest you want to recommend, or you came up with a weird new sex act you want named after you, well, I'm no Dan Savage, but I'll do my best. Shoot us an email at indecentthepod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at indecentkiki. Follow me at It's Kiki Anderson. My producers are Max Wolfson and Pete Musto, and our executive producer is Jeremiah Tittle. I'm Kiki Anderson, and this has been Indecent, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold indifference, 
All that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Next Chapter Podcasts.